This is the MedTech True Quality Stories podcast. Each week, we embark on a new storytelling journey with different MedTech executives as they share real-world, actionable best practices for medical device leaders. You'll gain invaluable insights into how these industry pioneers are successfully imagining, implementing, and improving true quality medical devices. Now here's your host, John Spear, founder and vice president of quality assurance and regulatory affairs at Greenlight Guru. Hello and welcome to the MedTech True Quality Stories podcast. This is your host, the founder and VP of quality and regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And I want to welcome our guest, Daniel Powell. Daniel is the CEO of Spark Biomedical. So Daniel, welcome to MedTech True Quality Stories. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So Daniel, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at, at Spark Biomedical. I think, you know, I, I know you're doing some exciting things and I think the audience will really appreciate that. And then you know, after we go, you get a little bit of, of what's going on and what you're doing today, I'm going to talk about some true quality stories, some of your experiences and kind of what led you to, to current state and time. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Spark Biomedical. Sure. Spark is a startup and we're building a neurostimulation system, non-invasive, so shooting for the class two world and addressing several neurological conditions that where you can stimulate various branches of the nervous system non-invasively. So we have a, a lot going on. It's pretty exciting. So I won't reveal everything we're doing in our first little clinicals here, but as soon as we have a little data, uh, we'll be updating our website and giving more information. That's very cool. I know I'm excited to to see things unfold and the progress that you're making. And, you know, I've looked at your background. You and I have had some conversations in the past. You know, this is not a new world for you. You've been in the medical device industry for quite some time. Yep, almost 20 years now, So, uh, which which surprised me when I had a birthday. I was like, <laughs> well, I've been doing this a while. Time flies. I mean, it, I had the same revelation at times. I mean, I, I have a, a child that's an, a, you know, technically by age an adult and in college, and it's like, oh my goodness, where did the time go? But uh, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, you turn forty-five and your eyes just stop working. It's, it's <laughs> uh, all right, but uh, you know, th- all those things aside, uh, you've had some. I'll say, um, fantastic and fantastic. I don't necessarily mean always good, but you've had some fantastic experiences throughout your career that have kind of led you to where you are. Uh, one of the things that, that you shared with me as we were talking about doing this podcast is some of the challenges that companies go through when they have to, quote, fix their QMS. Can you talk a little bit about how much fun <laughs> and exciting it can be to fix your QMS? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is. So when you say experiences, so which, what you get when you don't get what you want. So the experience here, uh, unfortunately, is you find yourself uh, with the FDA coming in with lots of changes. So I've had the, the privilege of being uh, going through at least one full warning letter experience with the FDA while I was at a class three medical device manufacturer. And, you know, I often say it was one of the worst things I ever went through, but also one of the most valuable things for my career to have a higher quality IQ, if you were, on really what can go wrong and then seeing the critical thinking skills you gotta, you have to go through to put the system back on the right track. 
So I've done a significant amount of remediation for a warning letter and then also participated in other startups where they just weren't on the right track and we had to fix a lot of things drawing on that experience. Yeah, and, and, and I want to dive into that a little bit because, you know, I, I know sometimes I talk to companies, Daniel, and, you know, they may be startups and this may be the first time venturing into the medical device industry. And when I share some of my experiences about going through 43 observations and warning letter remediation, I think sometimes people think, ah, it's not going to happen to me. You know, FDA is probably not going to show up. I mean, what would you say to those people that, that maybe have that belief? I, I have a very specific story when this happened. I, I had a, co- a colleague who left and he went to a Fortune 500 uh, big company. Everybody know the name. And we have been in our warning letter for like five years and they went under a warning letter. And we, we met at a Congress and he said, oh, no, we brought in the top consultants and we brought in the top people and we're going to be out of this one year tops. And he was so kind. He was a sales guy, so he believed whatever corporate told him. And and uh, I just laughed. I was like, I'm going to talk to you in five years, and you're not going to be out of the warning letter. He's like, you know, it's a bet. And uh, it took him six years to, to get the FDA to remove that warning letter. So it's, it's serious, and it takes a long time, and it's extremely disruptive when it happens because it yeah. stops everything. Yeah. So my, I mean, my experience was, you have a R&D pipeline and you're, you have all these great products coming. And when it does happen, it, it, you have to stop all that work and you have to put it all down. And then you're going back and you're fixing the documents and the system around old products that exist and, and you don't get to innovate. It's very disruptive. Extremely. And, you know, I guess, folks, I want you to understand, too, that, you know, it would be a rare event for you to automatically get a warning letter. Usually the way FDA works is an escalation process. So, you know, when you are a medical device company in the U.S., once you establish your registration with the FDA and you start listing products and things of that nature, you, you know, depending on a lot of factors, but, you know, certainly uh, the classification and type of product and, and things of that nature, you know, you essentially become on the radar screen, so to speak, from a, from an FDA inspection standpoint. And when that FDA inspection happens, usually you're notified ahead of time. You don't have to be, but usually you're notified ahead of time. And once that inspection happens, the FDA investigator is going to evaluate your quality system. They're going to dive in probably super deep in things like CAPAs and complaints and adverse events, you know, depending on the nature of the inspection too, they may dive into your design history file and so on and so forth. And through the course of this inspection, if there are any observations that are noted, you know, with respect to compliance and, you know, you, you following your processes and your procedures aligning with the regulations, there's a chance you might get what is known as a 483 observation. Sometimes I hear companies, when they talk about the FDA inspection process, those who have gone through it and they've received 43 observations, they they sort of think that that's trivial. Like, oh, I don't really need to do anything about that. So, Daniel, I'm sure hearing your chuckle, you, you have a response to that. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, when, when we triggered our, our FDA warning letter, I think we had six 483 observations. And if that's probably the single most important response uh, a company could. You, you get the 483. Uh, that's, that's your one and only chance to prevent a warning letter. 
and to answer and, and 483s happen and you know put together a good response learn from it and you should be okay but you don't take it serious and that 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 is the uh the gateway for a warning letter to hit which you know changes the status of your company in the fda's eyes you move from normal operating business to basically in the penalty box and and then they i had a, I had a boss used to say it's like a, a a sweater with a loose thread and they'll come in and they'll grab that thread and pull on it and if it just comes out no big deal and they'll look for another loose thread and they'll pull but they find one that keeps pulling and starts to unravel it and ends up you know in some weird process validation in your manufacturing that ends up you know creating a major issue you're in trouble so you got to take this serious yeah, and, and I don't want this our conversation to be all doom and gloom because there is a silver lining, uh, and we'll get there here in a moment. But you know, I, I think that's really an important thing. I mean, we talk a lot about a green light guru that there's a difference between between being compliance focused and true quality focused. And sometimes when you get into this compliance mindset, I, I think that it doesn't help an organization. Uh, embrace uh, the intent behind the regulations that are out there. You know, you start to get into checkbox mode. Sometimes you start to build um, processes that that don't necessarily align with how you do business, and then that's when you know things start to to spin or spiral out of control uh, at times. But um, there, like I said, there is a silver lining. So now that you've had you know this these experiences throughout your career, I think they're character building as well. But um, now that you've you've had some of those, uh, and and you're starting Spark Biomedical, I'm guessing that you want to do things a little bit differently. So talk a little bit about some of those thoughts that you've had. Yeah, from day one we said you know we're we're making sure we put in a fully compliant system. There's a couple of things I learned over the years that, for me personally, make a difference. One is don't use your own terminology. You know, they say, oh, you guys call that software validation. We call this software testing. Just make sure I, I'm a big believer. Use their words so you're not explaining why something could be confusing. So put in a system that matches the regs and is easily easy to understand, not overly complex. It doesn't have to be. If if it's confusing, you're probably in trouble from a quality management system. We specifically put in Greenlight Guru. I ran across you guys in a previous life at a startup where I was trying to explain, I was actually trying to explain the difference between design validation, software validation, process validation, and that people weren't understanding. And it is confusing, this word's getting used everywhere. And I found one of your articles, and I was like, oh, hey, John wrote this article that helps me win this debate in the company. So I, that's how I came across Greenlight. But when we looked at your software, it solved a significant amount of thinking that we had to put. We didn't have to sit down and design fully validated systems to put our design inputs in, our design outputs in, to route, route our, our um signatures uh, for approval and such. So we were looking for good tools. You need to just use spreadsheets if you want, but we we knew once you start going down that path, you end up with a lot of, a, a high chance of making a mistake and things aren't all connected because you have a pile of paper uh, that isn't a real good record. And uh, honestly, I know what we spent customizing software in other companies and what we spent just on human beings sitting there writing 
lots of documents on processes, especially around the systems, around writing, or around any number of things. And you guys had it nice and packaged in a box. So that's, we put that in place with, it didn't, didn't take me long. Your sales guy didn't have to really work that hard on the phone. I was like, oh, wow, this, all, <laughs> this, this is a year's worth of someone's salary immediately done and implemented and ready to go. Well, I, I, I appreciate that feedback. That's that's really terrific to hear. And, you know, when we started this company, you know, I, I had had some similar types of experiences as you. And, you know, at the time I was doing a lot of consulting, uh, working with a lot of uh, startups and, and earlier stage companies, trying to help them gain efficiency and momentum and get, you know, their life saving, life sustaining products to the market. And as you know, and I'm, I'm a, I like to think I'm a pretty smart person or a smart enough person anyway. And, and I was spending a lot of my cognitive load doing mundane, uh, low value add activities like updating forms and spreadsheets. I'm like, there's got to be a better way. So that, that was sort of the inspiration <laughs> for, for Greenlight is, you know, help others reduce their cognitive load on, on low, no value add activities. And, and let's get them focused on being good engineers. Let's get them focused on, on being good regulatory professionals, you know, actually contributing value to the design, development, manufacturing, and, and sale of medical products that can actually make a difference to humanity. That was sort of the motivation behind it. Well, it does. And one of the things you guys do really nicely is is the risk management module. So uh, if you're and if you tie it back to being in a warning letter, just in any FDA, either your submission and CE mark. Uh, your submission and an audit, anything, or dealing with a kappa and a problem. It always comes back to risk. And I've seen so many people implement risk management systems that didn't actually work or weren't actually compliant. I've been part of, you know, you're sitting there making up numbers and they're just kind of, they're just, they're not tying together and you're trying to come up with probability and severity, but the, the entire infrastructure around it is broken. And so when you're going to tie that to a complaint or tie that to a design input or, you know, a mitigation, whatever, having somebody actually do that in a way that they understand how that portion of the whole, every, you find any engineer knows how to lay out a board or write code or whatever, but you layer in that risk piece and everything hinges on that with the way you're treated with the regulatory bodies. And so that's an, that's one of those pieces that I think anybody tackling this that are new, like you said, making life saving devices, this is where this is where you you you'll prevent a warning letter or something down the road if you do it right. Yeah, and I, I think thank you for for that comment as well. And I, I think one of the things that um, I think risk is one of those topics that, mm, from my vantage point, is uh, I don't think it's completely out of control just yet, but it has spun up or spun out of, uh, you know, borderline out of control because I think, um, and I guess kudos, you know, most engineers that I know, they like to solve problems and I haven't met an engineer yet that, that can't, can't articulate all the ways something can fail and contribute to catastrophic events. It seems like that's just innate in, with being an engineer at times, but Sometimes that's problematic because we we start to uh, to to focus on things that um, not that they don't matter, but in the the big scheme of things, they're 
oftentimes they're pretty far removed from what's important to the patient, uh, especially when we're talking about risk. And, uh, and you know, what we've adopted in the Greenlight Guru risk management workflow is we've embraced uh, the spirit of 14971 within the workflow. We've put that patient uh, at the center of the risk universe, which I, th I think that's important for companies to understand. I mean, there might be other times, points and cases and, and situations where you need to do a deep dive, you know, a failure mode or a deep dive root cause analysis to truly understand what's going on. But, but before you dive down into the, the core of the earth, you know, deep in, into these things, understand the patient perspective first and, and use that as your guiding force. Absolutely. And you can get two, if you don't have a good methodology in place that helps you score this out correctly, you could get two extremes. You could dismiss potentially hazardous situations, or you could get the other side, which I've run into if you get an overly zealous quality department where everything ends in death. So there's a cascade of, of events and death. And you always end up with death being the adverse event. And you're like, well, we can't make anything. And since this is quality stories, if you indulge me, my favorite one was we were developing a wireless radio to an implant. And someone said, and this is a true story, the quality engineer on it said, what if somebody has this device and is in a wheelchair on the edge of the Grand Canyon and it's an electric wheelchair and it interferes and they drive off the Grand Canyon and die? So electrical interference ends in death. <laughs> we were just oh like, my goodness! We, we we didn't have a methodology to fight it. It was like it was. <laughs> so that's what, I swear to God, a true story. That uh, the the guy in the electric wheelchair on the edge of the Grand Canyon. So you know, we it took took a week for us to argue through that. Um, that's that's also the wonders of yeah. the two sides of not having the good methodology. Yeah, and, and you know, just to kind of like help paint a, a picture of Daniel's example, if you understand the definition of risk, and I'm paraphrasing a bit from 14971, it talks about the severity of the harm in combination with the probability that that harm actually occurs. So, you know, of course, if there is a, a harm that could result in death, that's of course pretty severe. I don't I can't think of anything more severe. Uh, but the probability of that harm actually occurring, you, you got to factor these things in. So, you know, um, my my uh, advice to folks that are struggling with the topic of risk management is, you know, to you know again keep that patient at the center of the universe as far as your your scope of risk management efforts, but then start to really identify probability. And, and probability is a bit of an art. You know, don't. It's hard, especially if you're you're a startup developing a new device to have any sort of quantitative values that that mean anything quite frankly, so you might you know start to lean more towards qualitative definitions and that's okay. Just define your methodology. But the whole idea behind the risk management approach is to start to identify you know in many cases, especially if you do this early on in a project, the things you really don't know, and the reason that's important is it helps guide you, it helps shape your design and development efforts so that you can know or uh, start to know what you don't know, start to uncover things that you need to focus on. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I love that you can equate statistics to an art, which in a weird <laughs> way in this world we live in is absolutely yeah. true. And to add to it, you have, you know, the probability of an event happening and the probability of that event happening and causing the harm. and you know, you put all this together and 
and you say put the the patient at the center and uh had a ceo used to always say you know use the mom test and and that should solve a lot of your like when you're dealing with the ambiguous gray of i wonder if this is going to happen think if your mom had the product and i think if you, you go down that mindset and you're thinking of likelihood and then therefore should i have to mitigate it hopefully that that helps you think of that in a realistic light as you're trying to predict what the probability of something happening is. But it's true. It's an art. And you've got to be able to defend it uh, if something does go wrong. And I, I'll tell you, I've maybe that's the other, other half of the equation on this. When you're in development and design and you're just in the office with your colleagues and you're working on something, even though you're excited about what you're building, it's still not very real. When you're in an operating room and they're cutting your product out of a human being because it went wrong, and then you got to see their family because they had to go back in surgery, I will say personally experiencing this, that'll change your view of all this and, and how serious you take it. And I'll make the jokes and the remember the stories about the, the wheelchair and the guys, but but it does drive you to, it, that's the very real end point is when it really does hurt somebody because something went wrong and it, and it happens even with the best designs and you just want to be able to know you did the right thing, you know, and, and then how you respond to it's the next portion of the story here. Right. Yeah. I mean, thank you for, for uh, being a little bit vulnerable and sharing that. I have told a story to some on the listening to this podcast might've heard me share this before, but yeah, I've shared this with, with um, my colleagues at Greenlight about, um, I would say the moment that it became real to me <clears throat> and the moment, and I was still, you know, in my twenties, I I'll say I started in the medical device industry, not really appreciating the gravity of what I was doing as a product development engineer. Honestly, it was more of, you know, I went to college, I had my degree. I didn't want to live in my parents' basement. I needed a job and that <laughs> sort of thing, you know? And, uh, but the moment that it came real to me was I was working on, um, a catheter type device and you know we had been through the the design and development process and you were we were in that soft launch phase if you will and um uh, i was had the opportunity to be present for the first clinical use of the product ever you know and um i was excited about that because you know you, you don't always as a development engineer sometimes you don't get that opportunity to actually see your product in use i mean hopefully you have an opportunity to interact with physicians sometimes you have an opportunity to interact with patients depending on what the product is but to actually be there the first time that it was going to be used was was pretty thrilling to me so you know met with the anesthesiologist uh, before the procedure you know it was a few minutes uh, ahead of time, we get into the, the OR and then it, it started to hit me. Oh my goodness, that's a real patient uh, under anesthesia and that's a real doctor. And that real doctor is about to use this product that I had a hand in designing and developing and testing and you know, assessing risk and documenting design control activities. It's about to be used for real in a real procedure and I started to like panic and you know and, and it it was that was the moment for me where it's like you know what I do matters and so uh it's important to to do the right thing as I'm going through the design and development and building my quality systems and defining regulatory strategies all of these things really really matter yeah they really do and and kudos on your company for sending you in and 
man, if every medical device company could take every engineer and get them some field experience once or at least once or twice, let them see a real patient, a real, you know, real human they're affecting and, and have that feeling of how real it is. I think that would, that would raise, you know, make all ships rise in this industry. We'd all do better if we made that a priority. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So, Daniel, as we wrap up this conversation today, I, you know, I appreciate you sharing your stories and moving towards a better world from the QMS perspective. And like I said, I'm really excited to, to see things unfold with you and with Spark Biomedical. But are, are there any closing thoughts that, that you want to share with the audience today? Um, no, I, I really just appreciate you putting out the content you do and, and Greenlight. So when you invited me to be on, I was more than happy uh, to get a chance to talk with you because you, you got to go out there and read the wisdom that's, that, that people like you are putting out there to help people unravel the regs. And, and maybe my last parting thoughts would be what, what you were doing 10 years ago probably isn't good enough today. And there's a lot more clarity and understanding on how to, you know, a lot of wisdom out there. And so if you've been doing this a while, you know, refresh your knowledge and best practices. And if you're new, uh, definitely uh, learn, learn from all the wisdom out there. Don't, don't try to just learn on the job. On the job training is not the way to do design controls. Yeah, thank you for saying so, folks. Um, and, and again, thank you for the compliments about the content that that we put out, Daniel. It's because of feedback from you and, and others in the industry that really shape what we put out in our content. We do a lot of educational webinars, podcasts, all sorts of things. And the whole intent is, is like you said, try to, to raise the tide for all of us. Because, you know, from my way of looking at this, we're all in this together. We all have an awesome responsibility to improve the quality of life. So be sure to, to go check out more of what we're doing at uh, Greenlight Guru. You can go to, to the website, www.greenlight.guru. You can learn about the award-winning EQMS software platform that is designed specifically for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals. You can participate in webinars. You know They're all free. You can read our guides. Consume all of it, and uh, you know if you have other things that you want us to explore, just reach out to me and let me know. Folks, I want to thank uh, Daniel Powell. Daniel is CEO of Spark Biomedical. Uh, we got a little bit of a glimpse of what Spark Biomedical is uh, is on the horizon for them, and uh, be sure to stay tuned to to see what else is coming. Um, because I know there are some exciting things that Daniel and his team at Spark are working on. So thank you so much. You have been listening to MedTech True Quality Stories. <laughs>